and today's emphasis is going to ultimately it's on the restoration of of this priestly calling so this isn't anything new that we've talked about here this this will be a strengthening of that revelation but specifically uh, we're going to take some time at the end and pray over uh, this next generation 35 and under and i believe god really has something in store for you today uh, this morning if you're 35 and under if you're 35 and older you also have uh, a part in this and and that's what you're going to see in the message and that god's heart what god is doing in this hour make no mistake is going to look and feel like family but <laughs> what that means is uh is that it, we our minds have to be renewed in this sense that we think that family uh you know god's family means there are no problems and it's just not reality uh, we, we're, we're committed to love each other through things, and family means that everybody has a seat at the table. It doesn't matter your age, but there are seasons of times where God's doing something unique uh, with a certain part of the family. And I believe right now God is awakening uh, the younger generation. Uh, we got testimony back from uh, this, this, this year. We, have, uh, uh, we had 10 world mandates within our movement in the United States. And at every single one of them, the, the common theme that, that we're seeing happening is teenagers just getting wrecked and rocked by the presence of God and just going after God. And it, there's, there's just a stirring in my heart for us as a church to make sure that we are, uh, this was the heart behind our legacy campaign. It's the heart behind uh, us starting up uh, a, a youth life group. It's the heart behind uh, us doing what we're doing this morning is that uh, those of us that are older are, are going to function more like mothers and fathers in the house. And mothers and fathers really have a heart to see uh, the sons and the daughters run further, run faster, run stronger than they did, and to do whatever it takes. Uh, as mom or dad, you understand you do a lot of what you do for the sake of the next generation. And, and so the church is going to look like that and does look like that. It's going to be strengthened in that revelation that it's, it's a multi-generational thing happening, but God is awakening uh, the next generation across the globe right now. It's happening. It's not going to happen. It is happening. We're in the midst of it. But I think we're in the beginning trembles of it, but, uh, but it's, it's not a future prophetic word. I'm not even prophesying to you. I'm just declaring to you what's happening. So we're going to talk about the table that the Lord's prepared for us in the midst of. Say in the midst of what? Well, you got to wait for the message, okay? It's in the midst of, uh, and that how this table is actually a restoration of the priesthood of the believer. Now, when I say priesthood, there's probably lots of different ideas that come up, um, but probably not... Uh, necessarily rooted in biblical revelation always sometimes the the idea of a priesthood we only know uh, through different streams of, uh, of of Christianity but it's it's a whole lot more than that you're gonna see and we're gonna take a look how, how the priesthood has often in history been corrupt and God has worked to restore the priesthood to, to bring in a generation that will love him with all their heart 
and, and oftentimes he's had to root out corruption and, and bring in a whole new uh, kind of band of, of people. He did this. The Israelites had to wait for a generation to die off. We're going to read today about how uh, with Samuel and Hannah uh, that God brought in an, a, kind of a new era of, of the priesthood. And then we're, where we're going to land is how really the invitation to receive the invitation from God to rebuild the priesthood. It's what God's doing on the earth right now. So uh, we're, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet again. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. And uh, Autumn and Houston, if you guys will come forward, they're going to read for us. But we're standing in honor of the Word of God. And you can open up your Bibles to Psalm 23. You can also flip forward to Malachi, the first chapter. We're going to read all, all of that. Psalm 23, Malachi chapter 1. So just kind of get there in your Bibles and read along. They're going to read along. They're going to read to us in the New King James. Uh, if you brought the wrong version this morning, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just kidding. Just follow along as best you can. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now we're going to read from Malachi 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau's brother Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet, Jacob, I have loved. But Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reference? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The Lord, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. But now, entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? 
Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept any offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness! And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male, and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Yeah, Lord, we say amen to your word. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Take your word, Lord, and make it life to us. Lord, take your word. Teach us. You're the author of this word, and we trust your leadership. And we do say to your word, Lord, so be it in our lives. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This is something that we're, we're trying to do on a, on a more regular basis, to just give space to read God's word. So uh, last week when, when Fred was here uh, from Antioch Bay Area, he, he gave a message, and he, he had a word afterward. Uh, that was he felt like was really for this house and he shared it with me and I said man I really feel like there's something there and it was this idea of a table and and that's really where I initially had prepared most of the message is that uh, the Lord was uh, preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies and so looking looking at Psalm 23 uh, we see that David talks about this yeah though I walk through the valley says uh, Psalm 23 4 I walk through the valley. I, and I, I think there's a revelation here, as, as we're just going to peer into Psalm 23 a little bit more, that what God's doing in this hour in the body of Christ is going to be in the middle of pressure, temptations, trials, and challenges. It's not going to be that God scoots all those things aside and just makes a, a path of roses for you and I. It's going to be in the midst of and so that's a different mindset. That's a different posture when you realize there are going to be enemies around me. That's the way it is. That's the world we live in. And until Jesus returns, you will have enemies. It doesn't mean you have to look for a devil under every rock. It means you need to be sober-minded, alert, and vigilant because you have an enemy. You need to know that. Now, he doesn't run around with a pitchfork and, and, and horns out of his head. He's subtle. He's cunning. He's deceitful. And we're going to walk through some things. He, and David says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And there is a table that the Lord has set for his people. And, and what he wants to teach us to do is to learn how to eat and find rest and peace and nourishment from God in the midst of. In the midst of. 
oftentimes we take this approach that I will receive, I will rest, I will get still when I get it all done, or I get it all in order, or I get past this issue, or I get over that, that hill, only to find out there's another hill. And so getting over the hill is not where you find rest. Getting to the table is where you find rest, is where you, is for, where you get fed, is where you get nourished. In the, in the midst of your challenge, in the presence of your enemies, is where you find the Lord. The Lord is the table. It's not just something he's providing off to the side. He's the table. He's the meal. It's him. And so he's saying to us, he wants to teach us to walk closely with him in the midst of. And, and for the end time church, right now, we're learning to do this in quote, you know, quote unquote, peacetime. Now, you might say, well, hey, it ain't peacetime in my house. I understand, but just acknowledge that there's going to be continual birth pains that are going to hit the globe, you know. And so you want to be, you want to be a person that's learned how to find the Lord, learn how to hear his voice, learn how to feed on him, learn how to find rest in the midst of. And not always waiting for it all to get better before you press into the Lord. Now is the time. Today is the day to, to begin to learn how to do this. And guess what? You don't have to do it alone. You get to do it with other people that we're learning how to hear from God. We're learning how to come to the table every day, be with him, feed on him, you know, draw near to him in the midst of our enemies. This idea of the table um, when David says this, it's a king's table, which is interesting. And a king's table was of private use, okay? Sacred. And the, and the king didn't have a table without a meal. The Lord wants to nourish you in the midst of whatever you're going through, whatever's happening. He always has a meal prepared. And a king's table was really like an altar in the temple. They're, 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 they're very similar because they were, a king's table was for a sacred use, and this table that, that David's referring to, we see tables in the temple, and the Lord had, had bread prepared on those tables for us to eat. He wants to nourish you with the table, and he is the table, and he's the meal. He's both and. The, the table is a representation of this place. You know, Jesus said, pray to your father who's in the secret place. He's already there. <laughs> He's already set a table. He's inviting us to, to draw near to him in this table. And, and listen to the way Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. This just reinforces this idea in the midst of, in, in, in the presence of my enemies. Look at John 17. This is Jesus talking to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you get to peer into this Holy Trinity conversation. I've given them your word, talking about the disciples, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, but just as I'm not of the world. But he says very specifically, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. 
Sometimes we're praying, God, take me out of the world or take the world out from, from, you know, uh, from, from getting so close to me. But that's not what Jesus is praying. He says, I, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. That's, if, if you want more on that, go back to last week's message on the podcast. Fred, uh, Fred preached a, an, an amazing message on being delivered from evil, the evil one. And he says, they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart. Bring them to the table by what's true. You're true. Your word's true. Set them apart. Protect them. Keep them in the middle of all of the evil, in the middle of all the pressure, in the middle of all the brokenness, in the middle of everything shaking. Keep them by your truth. And there's a setting aside in God in the middle of, in the midst of. And what that means is today's the day. Because if you're thinking, man, I'll really press into God, or I'll really sing that song, or I'll really make time for God's word, or I'll really do that. When I get over this hill, the enemy will make sure you got another one <laughs> and keep you weary not realizing there's strength provided for you in the middle of that hill, in the middle of that storm, in the middle of that challenge, God has a meal prepared for you. In the middle of it. And, and I'm, I'm just like you. I'm not ragging. I like to just, hey, let me get all my ducks in order, and then I can really feast. But the Lord's saying, no, that's not how it's going to work. That's not how it works. And this is the idea of biblical peace. In our mind, peace means we just have this, this lake in front of us without a ripple in it. And it's just peace. Biblical peace is the exact opposite. It's a storm going all around you, and there's peace inside. That's biblical peace. Jesus said, I don't give peace like the world. The world tells you you have peace by, you know, everything's in order. Make a lot of money, and you can buy peace and all your problems go away. And most of us say, yeah, we don't believe that. But there is a little part of us that's like, yeah, but if I had more money, it would be better. <laughs> it's not true. It's just not true. Because peace has to come on the inside. You could have the whole day off, lay on the couch, and get no rest. Because you don't have peace. Or you could be working with a shovel digging a hole all day and be at rest in God. He's got something prepared for you in the midst of. And, and we think oftentimes, well, it's, it's my job that's wearing me out. It's these kids that are wearing me out, and maybe it is, but it's the job, it's the kids, it's the ministry that's wearing me out. I'm doing too much church and too much work, and I need to get away from all this stuff. And God says, no, 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 no. There's a meal I prepared for you in the midst of. And you're not eating the right meal or not enough, or you're overlooking and thinking it's these, all these other things that are wearing you out when it's really just a lack of nourishment. Because when you're strengthened and when you, when you have the joy of the Lord as your strength, you can, you can handle a lot of things you don't feel like you could handle right now. Susie and I have watched people go through 
the greatest tragedy, tragedy that you can think of with joy. Doesn't mean they were happy with a plastic smile plastered on their face. It means they weren't rocked to the core of their being in, in, the, in the worst thing that you could think would happen. The loss of a son. Tragic accident loss. And we're, we're watching people carry the peace of God. Another family, this, was, this marked me early on as a follower of Jesus. They had a daughter, who had a special needs daughter, and, and, and she died young. And they would, they would lay her on, on, a, on a blanket during worship, and, and she, would, uh, she couldn't you know, speak and have uh, a regular conversation. She would just make sounds, and her body was contorted, and, and she, she died young. And I watched them worship Jesus at her funeral. I'm like, this is blowing my mind. What is happening? Because they, they had something that surpassed the circumstance around them. The Lord prepares a table for us. Here's, here's the table. Here's the meal. Verse 4. They're still in Psalm 23. You are with me. Say it with me. You are with me. You know how this gets real to you? You get alone with Jesus, and you read this 500 times. I'm not throwing out a magical number, by the way. I'm saying, if we want the reality of God to become our reality, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some prioritizing, and it's going to take us clearing off the, all the other stuff that's on the table and to draw near and to let his word dwell richly in us and to take root in us. The American church is a thousand miles wide and two inches deep because we're not taking time for God's word to, to shape us, form us, and so we, we can rattle off lots of theology and still, and still live in defeat. And I'm not ragging on us. I'm saying there's a way, there's a, 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 you know, an invitation into deeper waters, into knowing him that, that empowers us to overcome, to overcome what, whatever comes our way. It doesn't mean those things go away. It means they don't overcome us. Jesus is the table. Jesus is the meal. That's why David can say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell. Not visit occasionally. Not make it when I can. Not hope that my schedule works out so I could be there. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's an invitation. And so Fred saw this last week, and he said, man, I really feel like what God is building in this house is a table, and that God's inviting you into this in, in the midst of. And I really felt like there was a witness on that. But I want us to shift now into looking at this priesthood, because that's, that's really what we're talking about. The table of the Lord is an invitation to intimacy with him. And we don't often 
think of, and go ahead and cue the video, we'll, we'll show it after, after this. We don't often think of the priesthood as this intimate relationship. But in God's mind, when he says, I've made you a priest, what he's, what he's really saying is, I've invited you into the closest possible proximity to me that anyone knows. I'm giving you access to my face. He's saying, seek my face. And David said, God, when you said seek my face, your face I'll seek. And only priests get invited and have access to, to this proximity. There, there are billions of people on the earth. God loves them equally, but not everybody has equal access to his face. Only priests do. And we're made priests by what Jesus did. He's the high priest. So I have a video for you that's gonna put this together hopefully uh, a little concisely, and then and I'm going to start, to, I'm going to take us, you can uh, go to um, Malachi while, while you're watching this, just to get, get yourself ahead of the game. The Bible introduces humanity as God's royal priests, ruling with God in Eden, a place full of life and abundance and God's blessing. But humanity was deceived by evil and then exiled from Eden. And so humans forfeited their calling as the royal priesthood. But God promised that one of their descendants would be an even better priest who will defeat evil and intervene on their behalf to restore the blessings of Eden. This descendant would be a royal priest like Melchizedek that Abraham met in Jerusalem and also like Moses and the priestly figure he saw on Mount Sinai. This descendant will also be like David and the priest king that David called my Lord in Psalm 110. And all of these figures lead us to Jesus, the ultimate royal priest who suffered and died for a failed humanity so that they could be restored to their original calling as royal priests. About a month after the resurrection of Jesus, his disciples see him ascend into the skies. Yeah, this was the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and of the story of Jesus. He was exalted into the heavenly temple of God's presence and installed there as the cosmic royal priest. Now, Jesus also told his followers to wait for God's presence, to come and guide them into the future. And so during Pentecost, a festival in Jerusalem, God's spirit comes down on them like they're each mini temples who are filled with God's presence. Mini temples? Yeah, just like God took up residence in the tabernacle and later the temple, now God dwells among the followers of Jesus and their bodies are the temple. The apostle Peter, who was there that day, later put it this way. You all are living stones built up as a spiritual house. You all are a royal priesthood. So they are all together God's temple. And they're also the priests, reclaiming that lost calling that God gave humanity to represent him and to rule the world on his behalf. The spirit is restoring the life and blessing of Eden to the people of Jesus. But these people aren't priests. They're merchants and fishermen, soldiers and slaves, tax collectors and the poor. They work in the world and not in temples. And yet they talked and behaved as if they were priests. They believed Jesus was the cosmic royal priest ruling all of heaven and earth as his temple. And they saw themselves as an extension of Jesus here on earth. That is the body of the Messiah. That's a beautiful image, but what does it actually look like? 
Well, if you went to the temple in Jerusalem, you would hear the priestly choirs singing poetry that honored God and that told the story of his love. Music was a bridge between heaven and earth. Also, the followers of Jesus started writing and singing new songs about Jesus as part of their priestly calling. Right. Priests also surrendered everything over to God through their sacrifices. And so followers of Jesus started giving themselves their time and their money and energy to serve those in need. And they said, these are the sacrifices that bring pleasure to God. Priests also intercede on behalf of others through blessings and prayers, advocating for the needs of everyone. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Paul called on the Christians living in Rome to all together offer their bodies as one single living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Yeah, Jesus offered his life in the ultimate act of love. And so they too were to surrender themselves to each other and to those who needed their help. This is the royal priesthood, Jesus style. When people imitate Jesus, the royal priest, they become a new humanity, living in a way that reunites heaven and earth. Exactly. And now you can see how the whole Bible is one unified story about a royal priestly humanity that lost its way. But then how God promised to raise up a priest who would give his life to restore us. And then how the stories of Abraham and Moses and David all point forward to a promised priest king. And how this all led to Jesus, our great high priest, who suffered on our behalf to restore us to our calling. And so this is why on the final pages of the Bible, there's a vision of a renewed and reunited heaven and earth with humans serving and ruling as God's royal priests forever. So I hope that that, that was helpful to put some context in, in your heart and mind that this idea of the priesthood is not new and it's not old and to be forgotten. It's actually uh, a lost revelation that I believe the Lord is bringing to the surface in this hour um, that we are all priests unto the Lord. And that that means that we have access to his face. That means uh, that we can minister to him and give him what he desires. And we are also a bridge to the rest of this world. And so all of our sort of you know, coming in to minister to the Lord is even unto going out and loving our neighbor. That, that they're tied together. But what most of us have known of church, Christianity, of following the Lord is, is barely any ministry to the Lord and 99% ministry to the neighbor. Um, but you really don't have anything to give if you don't come in and, and come to the table. And it's from that place that the Lord wants to do what uh, only he can do. And, and as, you know, as he sanctifies our lives and, and makes us look more like him than our going out, we are becoming a witness. We're not just witnessing. You see what I'm saying? You're coming and you're beholding him and you're loving him and you're ministering to him and you're with him and he's making you look like himself and then you're going out like Moses with a, with a shining glowing face and you are witnessing because you are someone different. A witness doesn't, doesn't always use words, although they should. I, I, don't, I don't think that we should just, you know, just smile. <laughs> they, that doesn't preach the gospel, but it helps to smile it helps to be filled with joy and not just to have no joy but to smile because you know Christians should smile. 
That doesn't do a whole lot. But when joy is beaming out of your eyes and people wonder, what do you have? <laughs> then you can answer because you've been with him. And you have something of God's heart in you to give away. And it's less like a... And, and what happens oftentimes when we neglect the table is often people say, hey, pastor, when are we going to do another outreach? I'm all for outreaches, but they have to come from an overflowing heart that says, I just have to give out. And then what you find out is it's not so much about a one-day, three-day, four-day event a year. Now your life is an outreach. You are pouring out. God's pouring through you, whether you're at Walmart or you're at the, the county jail or wherever you are, that you are always reaching out. It's who you are. Then an event is just an event. It's not the thing. It's not the big pinnacle of outreach anymore. Because we are a people like salt being shaken all around the city, all around the county to be salt and light and to season and to, to be the flavor of God wherever we go. So throughout history, the Lord has constantly made attempts to restore this priesthood. Think about this. God has attempted in other generations to woo people to himself, a people to himself that would love him first. And there are generations that neglected it. They said, nah. We'll just keep doing church the way we're doing it. We're good. We're good. What will happen in our generation? Will our generation respond? Can you turn your phone off, ma'am? It's, it's distracting me. Thank you. Grace, grace. But I think about our generation. What will be written about our generation? Will it be that, man, God moved on a generation and that generation awakened to the priesthood and committed themselves to rebuild the, the ministry and priesthood to the Lord. They, they said in their hearts, the people said, God, you are priority one. We're sorry that we've made everything else a priority and we turn and prioritize the Lord. And that generation called and pulled and tugged on the things of God and saw heaven come to earth. What if that's written about our generation instead of a generation that stayed dull-hearted and distracted and missed the move of God in their day. There's an invitation from heaven to come to the table. And God has had to deal with a corrupt priesthood. I feel like the priesthood in our generation is a lost priesthood. But the, the, the priesthood in Malachi's day had just grown corrupt. And so I'm just going to give you some highlights before I do out of, out of 1 Samuel. We see here God restoring the priesthood through Hannah. And many of you have heard the story. Hannah can't, can't bear children, can't bear children, crying out to God. She's despised by the, the other wife, which is a hot mess. You know, there's multiple wives here, and it's, it's a mess. But God's working with what he's got, okay? In 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. Yeah, I'm sorry. I told you to go to Malachi. Go to 1 Samuel. It's right before 2 Samuel. I'm going to lighten it up in here a little bit. Okay. 
This is Hannah. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And then we, if you know the story, she makes this vow. Verse 22, she goes on. But Hannah, this is after she, she has him, Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So she cries out, cries out, cries out, God, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. God gives her a child, and she actually follows through, which is amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've been waiting, 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 and you finally get this thing, and you're like, all right, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it right back to you, Lord. And so she, she weans the child, takes him back. If you don't know, his name is Samuel. These books are all about God working through his life and God reestablishing the priesthood because it had gotten absolutely corrupt. This is how corrupt it got that people would bring their sacrifices. And Eli's sons, it says they didn't know the Lord. They were priests and didn't know the Lord. And people would come to bring their offerings and they would take big forks and just, they'd say, whatever comes out's the Lord and take it for themselves. And then they would say, and if you don't give it to us, we're gonna take it by force. They would take it beyond that and have sex with the women that were bringing offerings to the Lord. Absolutely corrupt, corruption, just to the core. And God's putting up with this for a while. But he's bringing in a new generation through Samuel. That's what we're going to pray, young people. You may not all answer the call. We just need one to start with. One Samuel. And I believe there are more than, than that in this room that have a heart cry. I believe it's, the, it's, it's God's, God's grace on a generation that the heart cry of this generation says, God, I want more than just, you know, games and trinkets. I want the presence of God. I want the, the purity of him. I want to know him. And I believe we're going to see continual teams of young people give themselves. Right now, we're, we're seeing the beginning stages of God breathing on a people in this house. And, and, many, and it's not all about only prayer sets, but it is about a tangible expression of love for God and commitment to a weekly place of just offering praise to Him that He's worthy. And it does make its way down to practical applications of actually learning an instrument of actually giving yourself to learning how to lead a prayer set, of, of giving yourself to being on a team and learning mutual submission one to another and, and learning how to function together in the presence of God and learning how to host him. And then he comes in and he turns around and he becomes the host. We're learning. We have a lot to learn. We have Upper Room coming uh, in the beginning of March who's going to come and, and we're going to learn from them. I want every young person to fill this place when they're here. This is something worth giving your life for. This isn't my vision. This is an invitation from your creator to seek his face together in a family of people that want to go after God. For some of you, God's going to mark your heart so deeply 
that what you've known in your generation is the only thing that people put this higher priority is like a sport. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself fully to, to training and developing, and uh, I'm going to you know, eat, breathe, and, and, and sleep this sport. And hey, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm saying it's all we know of this kind of dedication and this kind of, uh, of single-mindedness. And I believe that same type of single-mindedness, God is going to grace a generation to go, I have to have him. It doesn't mean you can't play sports, but everything else, it falls under this greatest one pursuit of your creator. There's something greater that God has for you, and it's why so many have gone after other things. Oftentimes they get it, and they go, gosh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. So let me, let me hurry up here, because I want to make space for us to pray for this generation. Second Samuel, Hannah makes cool little, little jackets for Samuel. It's, it's cool. Every year she brings a new one because he keeps getting bigger. I believe it's this picture of the older generation providing covering for the next generation, that we're doing this together. We're not just commissioning the, the, the younger generation and saying, I hope it all works out. We are walking together. It's multi-generational thing that God is doing on the earth that he was doing then. He's doing it again. Then God is so gracious in, in verse 21 uh, of chapter 2. He gives Hannah five more kids. There you go, girl. You gave me one. I'm giving you five more. God bless you. Verse 35, God's, this is chapter 2. I put down, God will do it. God will do it. Let me find it. I want to read it. It's worth it. Then this is this is the Lord. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. The Lord in this hour is going to raise up a priesthood. Now, if you want to be a part of it, jump in. But if you decide not to, I believe the Lord is saying, I will do this. My house shall be a house of prayer. It's something I'm doing. I'm going to do it. And, and I'm inviting you into it. He says, then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a house, a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Young people, this invitation to rebuild the house of the Lord as a house of prayer and to, to restore ministry to him is not something that's just going to happen until 2030. This is forever. What you're going to give your life to and what God's inviting you into has eternal implications, and it's going to matter to the Lord forever. Your little commitment to Jesus to be with a small band of people on a, on a Wednesday night, on a Thursday morning, is going to matter to the Lord forever. He's going to, he's going to reward those that said, God, I, I'm going to, I want to do what's in your mind. I want to fulfill what's in your heart. What are the dreams of your heart? In the, the church of the last couple decades, we tried to draw people in by saying, man, God will give you the best life ever. Your best life is yet to come. Just come to church and find your calling and, and find your gifting and we'll, we'll help you be all that you can be. <laughs> There's truth in that, but it is way too elevated above the real purpose that we're called to gather is to fulfill his dream. Your dream is inside of his dream. 
The best thing God could give you is more of himself. And the best thing you and I could lose is ourself. <laughs> you weren't made to carry self. It, we don't see it in Adam and Eve until the fall. Then they're aware of their own nakedness. They're, they're aware of the, their shame and there's blame and there's guilt and all these things enter in once self begins to be put on. You and I were, were made and wired to live with a God consciousness where you weren't worried about what others were thinking about you. You weren't worried about what others might say about you. You weren't worried about if you're singing so crazy unto God that, that someone else cares. That's why we shrink back. It's why we get quiet. It's why we go inside because we're self-conscious. And God, when you break free of that, you find what you were made for. But the Holy Spirit has to break us out. So I'm going to zip through Malachi. We're not going to mess around here. I'm going to ask the, the band to come on up to hold me accountable. Revelation 1, 5 through 6. You've been made kings and priests by the blood of Jesus. Malachi. Malachi, we read it. You heard it. There's some zingers in there, wouldn't you say? Some things that God said, it's like, ooh, ouch. It's like you went to the doctor and you, you know, they just, they just told you it was going to be a regular checkup, and they start poking you all over the place. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. He's doing a good work. He's poking. He's prodding. But he starts off in Malachi 1-2. I've loved you. Everything I'm saying, everything I'm doing is from a place of love. Yet you say, in what, what way have you loved us? And he goes on to point out that basically I've invited you to minister to me to love me with all your heart. And, the, and other things have gotten in the way. Uh, Malachi 1.7, some had stopped coming to the table altogether. They said, it's worthless. You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. That means it's worthless. It's, it's neglected. We made light of it. There were people in, in, the day of, in Malachi's day, the priesthood, had made light of the invitation to come and minister to the Lord. Malachi 1.7 says here that some stopped coming to the table altogether. He says, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? I'm sorry, I just read that to you. Malachi 1.8. Some brought their leftovers as offerings, is why I put leftovers. This is the way that the Lord saw it. He said, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? So in that day, the priesthood, some had stopped coming to the table altogether. Some were bringing a weak, lame offering to God. Malachi 1.12, some of the priesthood had just said that the table is impure or unhealthy. When I, when I read this at first, I thought, I don't understand. Why did the priests say that the, the table was impure. And I felt like the Lord said, it's the same today when people push back from the church and they say, oh, it's just full of hypocrites anyway. 
but you're invited to the table and you're invited to the table with a family. And so what they said, Malachi 1.12, you profane it. The table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. That the priesthood was saying, oh, it's, it's not worth it. It's defiled. I'm not coming to the table. And if and some were, were coming and bringing leftovers. Malachi 1.13. There's some zingers in here, I know. But I believe the Lord wants to, if, if any of these hit a land in your heart, just lit them. Let the Lord wrench our hearts now so that he can do what he wants to do and draw us near to himself. Malachi 1.13 some believed that it was wearisome or a burden. This is where I was, and I just I wanted to, to give this little bit of a, a testimony or a it's not a confession because it's not fresh, but when the, the Adams were on they were here on the island back in 2017, 2018, and they were leading the house of prayer. And House of Prayer, you know, was doing prayer sets every day. And they would reach out pretty regularly to, to Susie and I. And I would give different reasons and excuses for why I didn't want to be a part of the daily prayer sets. And, I, you know, I was busy pastoring and doing other things and, and thought, you know, hey, if I'm going to do anything, I want to build prayer in, in, in our house, in this, in this church. And that's nothing wrong with that. But my real reason was, is that I, I was like, I think what you guys are doing is too extreme. And, and finally, I talked to Andrew and I said, look, man, I, I appreciate all the invites. I'm not going to come to all the things. I just want to be honest with you. I'm not going to come to everything. We're trying to do, do prayer in our, in our own church, and I just don't have time to do those things. But the real issue of my heart, the real root was I, I saw what they were doing was a burden. Like, man, I like a little bit of prayer, but daily prayer, no. That, that's, that makes me tired just thinking about it because it wasn't enjoyable prayer. It, it wasn't fueled by this revelation that I'm bringing something to the Lord. Prayer was what I brought to the table. I've got my list and here we go. I'm gonna pray, start in, in number one and then just kind of work your way through. Instead of prayer being push everything aside and look at him and behold him and connect with his heart and find out what's on his heart and then pray with him. That's enjoyable prayer. That's different. And I, I had to later in, in 2021, when God brought this revelation afresh to this house, I had to repent to the Adams and say, I'm sorry. I, I treated you guys uh, kind of wrongly I had some right reasons in there, but the real root of my heart was that I saw that this was a burden. This is what they said in Malachi's day. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept from your hands, says the Lord. We can go ahead and bring in the, uh, or cue the, uh, the children. So, uh, I think Beth was going to let the children know it's time to come in. Because I... 
we're gonna we're gonna bring everyone in the house and we're gonna pray over this this next generation with an invitation to rebuild because priests are called to live in close proximity to this table and the table is actually an altar and it's a centerpiece of the life of a priest kids we want you in here we want the children in here young sit wherever you want I don't care so here's the question to our house will you give yourself to rebuilding priestly ministry to the Lord you guys can just sit on chairs if you want it's fine just relax Manny's got an open chair over there. The service is blown out. We're not going to try to keep it all perfectly rigid right now anyway. So, But I want you to listen to, as, as, you, as you take on this revelation, the entire Bible will read differently. When you think of priesthood, when you think of, of invitation to the Lord, invitation to the table, it's, it's not about your do's and your don'ts and regulations and, and, and things that, 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 you know, God is just, uh, just these orders of service. It's an invitation to know Him. Deuteronomy. I don't know how, how much you spend reading Deuteronomy. It's not like the, the, the love chapter of, of Song of Solomon. But chapter 10 says this, at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord, to minister to him and to bless his name. And he says this to Levi and, and the rest of the priests. He says, hey guys, you're not getting houses. You're not getting land. The Lord is your inheritance. The Lord is your inheritance. And it, it says in verse 12, Deuteronomy 10, 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does God want? To stand in awe of the Lord, to walk in his ways, and to love him. God is looking for a generation that wants more than just going to church, that wants more than just a better life for you and your kids, that wants more than just, I just want to make it and include God in the mix. He wants a people that will love him with all their heart and give themselves to that end. 